Bridge Church, I'm so glad to be here this morning and uh, just really grateful for the opportunity and honor to share um, this stage and share God's word with you this morning. And I want to just take a couple minutes to, to boast on your lead pastor here. Um, when God really gave me the desire to start a new church, the first person I reached out to was Bobby. And I can't say why or anything. I just, I just happened to reach out to him and, and he immediately made himself available to me. And we went and had um, lunch and... Um, and just basically ever since then, I have just looked up to him and, and sought advice from him. He is actually on my elder board, so he helps make, uh, helps make now and will make um, major decisions in our church. I've just entrusted him with that as I've seen how he has led you all. And speaking of you all, I know that Pastor Bobby loves Ridge Church. And I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about the people in here. So if this is your first time here, you'll be loved by this man. If you've been here, then you should know that you've been being loved by him so uh, Pastor Bobby, again, just want to say, man, thank you for having me and my family today and being so good to us. That being said, I'm, I'm fired up to be here with you guys and uh, just love what God's doing in Ridge. And as um, uh, Pastor asked me a couple months ago to come speak and begin praying, and, and God had really already been dealing with some things in my life about, just got to thinking about God's grace and, and forgiveness. And I want to just share this with you before we get going. You cannot cover God's grace or the amazing... Um, characteristic of God when it comes to grace and one message. So that being said, I've, I've asked Bobby, and he said, it's okay, um, we sh- are going to stay probably about two or two and a half hours today, and I'm going to do my best to cover all of it. Just kidding. All you, all you like ex-bad just got real squirmy in your seat, and you're like, is he serious? No, you, you, but you can't cover God's grace in, in, in a in 20-minute message. So I want you to know this. We're just going to look at a specific story today that I think is a perfect framework for who God is and his willingness to forgive the least of these. And and that being said, um, every person, every person has made mistakes. As uh, I was told, there are some perfect people to come to Ridge. I haven't met you yet, but that being said, we all make mistakes. No, you guys back there saying no. We all make mistakes. According to Scripture, we all fall short of God's glory. And so I want to say this. If you're here today and you're you're seeking Jesus, you're not really sure what you think about him, I want to just ask you kind of just, Kind of sit back and listen to what I'm saying. If you are in Christ, this is a beautiful picture of what God will do for you. And for those of you who are seeking Jesus, this is something that he wants to do for you. Amen. So as I got to just thinking about God's grace and forgiveness, I, I thought of a story back. It's actually been about 12 years ago. Uh, when I got out of high school, I joined the United States Army and went and did some training and um, got to do a lot of cool things and meet a lot of cool guys. But I haven't always shown grace like God has shown me or been very forgiving. And one particular story was I was in um, AIT, and that stands for Advanced Individual Training. And, and that's training that you go to basically right after um, basic training. Everybody has a specific job they do, and they go to that. And so one morning, uh, very early, uh, we were getting ready to go out and do our, our exercise we call PT. And we had these nasty, ugly green PT mats that were like this thick piece of foam that weren't comfortable at all. But our government provided them to us, and we were grateful for them. Um, and so I was, I was laying in bed that morning, just very, very sleepy and tired, just, I'm, and I'm still that way. I don't ever just get right up when the alarm clock goes off. But um, we were in, like, these eight-man rooms in, in, uh, on bunk beds, and I'm laying there looking up. My head is at the end of the bed, and I remember seeing this guy come in my room just out of, you know, my peripheral vision there, and I'm just kind of laying there. The lights are off, and I see him actually... And I don't realize this till, till later on in the day, but I remember he kind of, I'm laying there looking up, just kind of resting, and I see his head come up, and he bends down, and then I see him walk out. And I remember thinking that moment, man, that's really strange. 
But what happened is uh, as I got up and got dressed to go do my PT, my mat was gone. My mat that we would lay on to do sit-ups and push-ups and stuff like that. And so I had to go to my drill sergeant, and, you know, you just don't want to go there and be like, hey, I've lost this. I'm sure I paid some kind of price for it then. But So as I got to thinking about it, as the day went on, I got thinking, man, it started coming to me. You ever had those experiences in the morning? They don't really make sense, but as you go through the day, it's like you have that moment, and you're like, hey, wait a minute, I know what happened here. This guy had come in my room and taken my PT mat because somebody had taken his. So instead of being forgiving, like the message is about today, I'm not boasting, but this was a, a good time that I had doing this. I went to a couple of my buddies, and I was like, hey, listen, man, we're going to get this guy back, dude. He's coming here and jacked me up this morning and stole my PT map. So we devised this plan, and, and basically that night as he's gone to chow, we demolish his locker. And, and for those of you who have been in the military don't know, everything has to be in a certain order. I'm talking your socks have to be folded a certain way. Certain things have to be by certain things. It's almost, you know, talking about very, very, uh, the Army is very OCD about things like that, just the way it has to be. It's a good thing. It's a good thing, but everything has to be perfect. Um, and we just went in and demolished it. We flipped his mattress. We took his sheets off, soaked them in water, soaked his socks, and threw them back in the locker. And I'll be honest with you, I felt really, really good about it. And still, I still kind of do as I'm talking about it. It's almost like I'm glorifying it, um, and I'm reliving that moment. It was, it was good, but... Truthfully, I should have just forgave him that guy because, honestly, he had a hard time. Somebody took his mat, and he was just doing, you know, really what our culture does. Our culture says, well, I'm going to get even. I'm going to get fair. I'm going to get you back. Now, I'm going to take justice into my own hands. And I want to tell you this morning that God is not that way. God's grace covers all of our sins, all of our wrongdoings, everything that we regret. God's grace is enough. And he's willing to forgive. He's willing to forgive. And let you be a part of his kingdom. And this is a beautiful thing right here. This book has, this is, it's crazy. It has over 7,000 promises of good things about the life that God wants you to live. About what an obedient life in him, the rewards you will have. But here's something about that. This book, this life is for everybody. But you have to be in Christ to receive what's in here. You have to be in Christ to receive what's in here. So it's a beautiful thing. It's like, this is for everybody, but you've really kind of got to be on the inside to reap the rewards. And so that's what I'm saying. If you're here today and you're just not sure what you think about Jesus or what that means to you, spiritual things, hang back and just catch a glimpse of this story. And for those of you who know what it's like to have made a million mistakes and just really feel, um, you know, sorrowful and just guilty about that, and maybe you're here today and you're thinking, man, I have screwed up so bad that there's no way God could forgive me. I think we're going to see a beautiful picture in the New Testament today of a story of God's grace and his willingness to forgive. And so I asked the first um, service this morning this question, and only three people raised their hands. So I think that's, that's a service full of perfect people. But if you would be okay this morning with hearing a message through worship, through teaching, through prayer, bottom line, if you would love to leave this place different than you came, a better person, would you just raise your hand? All right, you have the opportunity. You have the opportunity. Because if you raise your hand, that means you are seeking something and you are desiring something. And so I want to set up this story today as we begin to look at it. We're going to be, if you have a Bible, you can open it to John chapter 8. If not, we've got it on the screen for you. We're going to be looking at a story about adultery specifically, but I want you to know this. The message itself applies universally to whatever struggle or mistake you've made. We're looking specifically at a story of adultery 
but the story, the application will go across the board. So here is the context of John chapter 8. Let me tell you what's going on. And here, by this time, Jesus has turned the water into the wine. Jesus has fed the 5,000, the 4,000. He's done a lot of miracles, and he's starting to really tick a lot of people off by saying these things, by doing these things. And people are really beginning to wonder, is this the Messiah? Is this the one that the Old Testament spoke about? There's two specific groups you need to talk, or we need to know about this morning as we look into this story. Uh, one group you probably heard of were called the Pharisees, and they were a very religious group, a group that had a lot of influence. Um, they lived by the books of the, the law, just very religious. Um, we called them, they're basically, they're the Baptists. I'm not picking on Baptists. Listen, I love Baptists. I'm just, I love Baptists. So. There's the Pharisees, and then there's another group called the scribes. And basically what the scribes were, these were men that interpreted um, the law, or they would even actually copy scriptures because, you know, they didn't have every kind of translation back then. And so people would call them lawyers a lot of times. But, so you've got this, um, the Pharisees and you've got the scribes. And what's happening is this. In John chapter 8, it's early in the morning. Uh, the word says dawn. So you just imagine, you know, getting up really, really early when the, maybe the sun's coming up. And it says that Jesus has gone to the temple complex and he's teaching. And there's a large crowd around him. They're sitting there. They're listening to him teach. And it, the scriptures say that the Pharisees and scribes, they have devised this plan to trap Jesus. They're going in there with ill intention because they don't like uh, this Jesus of Nazareth who claims to be the Messiah. We mentioned this in the first service as well. Hosanna is probably one of my favorite songs of all time. But the same people that cried out Hosanna in the highest were the same ones that would lead him to the cross and say, crucify him. And so these are the people that are there this morning. They are not for Jesus. And imagine the setting would be much like this. People are sitting around, they're listening to God's word, Jesus is teaching. And then these Pharisees and scribes, they come busting in the doors. It's early in the morning. They come busting in, causing a scene. And that's where we pick up our story in verse 3 of um, John chapter 8. So it says, Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. And I tell you, you know people like this. There are hypocrites that love to point out your sin. They love to say what you're doing wrong. It's real easy for them to point the finger at you. And they, uh, these, these scribes and Pharisees, they brought this woman in amongst everybody. They made this ruckus, and they made her stand right in the center. They're pointing out her flaws. Verse 4 says, Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. And I just want to pause here for a minute because this is very important to understand. Anytime you read Scripture, anytime you study Scripture, there's certain things you want to look for. And just a teaching moment is that when you see repeated words in Scripture, specifically if you're looking in a chapter and you see these repeated words, the author is trying to tell you something. So what we see here immediately in these first two verses is it's repeated that this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery, okay? This was not something that somebody, they did not post this on Facebook and suggest, hey, maybe this woman's cheating. They didn't put it out on Twitter. No, they took a picture on Instagram and played the video of it. I mean, she was, she was caught in the act of committing. And so we see that repeated twice in two verses. And so what that tells us is this, is that our sins before God are blatant. They are seen. What you think you do in darkness, God will bring to light and he sees it. So you, there's nothing that goes unseen. Are you with me? I mean, God sees everything. In fact, the psalm says that the eyes, of the, God, the eyes of the Lord are on the wicked, those who are not in Christ, and the righteous. So, I mean, you can't get away from him. 
You can't hop in your car and and uh, ride out to the lake or up to Norris Dam, or you can't ride up the hilltop market up here, or you know, down to Oliver Springs, and get away from him. He's everywhere. And so it's interesting that this text suggests in two verses that this woman was caught in the act. In the act. And if you're an adult, you know what that means. I don't want to paint that picture. But her sin was blatant. It was obvious before God. And you ought to know this, that you can't hide anything from him. A lot of times, and, and I say a lot of times we, let me speak for myself. I've been in denial about a lot of things. I thought that God didn't care and that God didn't see, but he does. And we're going to see in this story that God's grace is quickly to abound, quickly to abound. So two times we see that she's caught in the act of committing adultery. They've talked to him, and then verse 5, this is what they say to him. In the law, that's the Old Testament, Moses commanded us to stone such women And this is very condescending. They say, so what do you say? This isn't like, hey, man, do you want to go to Bojangles or Taco Bell? What do you say? This is more like, I've got an ulterior motive, so what do you say? And you've got to remember, it's very important that um, these men are living by the the law. And and so we see here why they ask him this in the beginning of verse 6 says, uh, they ask this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. So remember, everything that's happened up to this time, there's been an ulterior motive. They're not really walking in here concerned about this woman. And they've got an agenda. And let me just tell you something, just a piece of practical advice here. There's nothing worse than hanging with people who have a hidden agenda. You just It's almost like, I thank God for intuition sometimes. You hang with those people and you're like, hey man, something just don't feel right about what's going on here. And that's what's going on here. They're, they're, they've, they've brought this woman in to try to accuse um, Jesus. They want to have this evidence against him. So here is the dilemma. Remember, these are religious uh, people, uh, the Pharisees and the scribes, and they are heavily living on the Old Testament. They don't even really believe that Jesus is who he says he is. In fact, they would be the ones that would march him to the cross. But the dilemma is they live by the books of the law, and we now would call that the first five books of the Old Testament. And so when they say, what do you say about what she's done? It's because they knew there was a punishment prescribed for such a thing. And we find the punishment in Leviticus 20.10. Leviticus 20.10 says that um, if a man commits adultery with a married woman, if he commits adultery with his neighbor's wife, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be, must be put to death. I mean, I just feel led to say this. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. But I suppose today, if that was the same price we'd pay for adultery and cheating on our spouse, maybe we'd have a few more marriages that weren't broken. So they lived by the law, and the law said, listen, if a man commits adultery and this woman, they both have to be put to death. I mean, this is serious business. When we find out how they should die in the law through Deuteronomy twenty-two twenty-four, it says you must take the two of them out to the gate of that city and stone them to death. This would have been very violent. This would have been very public. They, I mean, you, the whole sins of the, these people would have been before the city, and not only would their shame, but their death would have been before them as well. And so these scribes and Pharisees, they know that these people, this woman, should be put to death by stoning. 
And they're trying to, we see in verse 6, they're trying to trap Jesus. And so this is really the dilemma that they are trying to put Jesus in. Basically, if he refuses the death penalty of this woman, if he says, no, do not kill her, then he is contradicting the law of God. And therefore, he could be put to death. And so the other thing is this, is if, if Jesus says, yeah, let's stone her to death, then basically he is losing his reputation of being the Messiah, being the one to be able to forgive the sin. So there's this dilemma. They are trying to trap him. Either way, they feel like they've got him. They feel like they've got him either way. And I want you to, I can't, this response of what Jesus does is awesome. And I want you to know that Jesus was smooth, man. He was good at what he did. He was good at what he did. This is part of, uh, first part of verse 6. They've said this to him. They say, what do you say? This is what it says. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. I love this. He doesn't even acknowledge what they say just yet. See, they feel like there's one of two ways this thing can go. And it's either bad or really bad. And so I want to tell you this. If you're sitting here this morning and your circumstances seem dire or devastating, I want to tell you that God's got another way for you. He's got another way. And it's the best way. It's a way that will bring life and grace and forgiveness. I think people, today we need to embrace the grace that God wants to give us because it sustains us and gives us life. In fact, that John 1.17 says that, that Jesus came to bring grace and truth. We need to embrace what Jesus is wanting to give us. It's a different plan than what the world seems. It's a different plan than what you have for yourself or what everybody else thinks that you deserve. God wants better for you. And so I love this. They try to trap him. And it says that he didn't even acknowledge them. He stooped down and started writing on the ground. So verse 7 says, when they persisted in questioning him, they kept going. They kept going. They had this plan that they thought was going to work out. It says, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. And I love this. Because I think in our culture, in Christianity, in life just in general, we have this issue where we want to judge people or compare ourselves horizontally. For example, we would say something like, hey, listen, I'm... He drinks a whole lot more than I do. I only get drunk on the weekends. He's drinking through the week. Or my pain medication is prescribed. I'm allowed to take that. Or I always talk to my wife like that, and she always talks to me like that. Our relationship's not as bad as theirs because they've cheated on each other. We always want to judge each other this way, compare ourselves. I'm better than you because I have more money. I'm better than you because I dress not. I'm better than you because my hair goes in a faux hawk and you don't have any hair. <laughs> and I think what we need to start doing is, what I believe we need to start doing is comparing ourselves horizontally, excuse me, vertically to God. And that is when we step before the presence of God's glory, we realize that on our best day, we are just filthy rags before a king. And if we could start comparing ourselves this way, I think there would be less turmoil this way. And this is something that happened to me when I, when I got into Christ. I'm about to have a fit up here, to be honest with you. I'm getting a little fired up. But when I really began to seek Christ and, and, and embrace the life that he wanted for me, this is the truth, and I don't want to sound really, really weird or super spiritual, but I just begin to see people differently. And I don't mean like physically. 
I just mean, I begin to see people as, as spiritual beings that, that need God's love. And listen, there's a difference between forgiving someone, accepting them, and tolerating behavior, right? So we're not talking about tolerating behavior. You'll see this in the Scripture. I'm talking about let's just stop judging each other. Let's compare ourselves to God, and I think we'd have a lot less problems. Because the truth is this. The ground is level at the cross, so I don't care what kind of economic background you come from or what kind of nice car you drove here. I don't care if your daddy was a preacher, if you've been in Sunday school your whole life. I don't care if you're a drug addict and you used 30 minutes before you walked in the door. When you fall before the throne and the, the foot of the cross, man, it's even there. We're all in the same playing field. That was for free, by the way. I don't even know where I'm at now. <laughs> So he starts riding with his finger on the ground, and Jesus says, you be the first to throw a stone at her. Thank you. If you haven't sinned. And we're talking about comparing to one another and judging one another. And the, best, the best sermon ever preached, other than 9.30 this morning, I'm kidding, was the sermon on the mount that Jesus preached. And listen to what he says in Matthew 7.3. He says, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but don't notice the log in your own? Is that not, I mean, it's so true even still today. It's so easy. Remember these, when these scribes and Pharisees, when they came in, the first thing they did was they threw this woman in the center and said, aha, listen, here's an adulterer. And Jesus says, listen, you've got this massive log in your eye and you want to call out this little speck in your brother's. And the idea is this, that let's just accept ourselves for the way that God has made us, where we are wrong and fall short, let's ask God for forgiveness, and let's be willing to extend that forgiveness and grace to other people. Because the idea is this. We need to realize how much grace and forgiveness God has shown us. Every person in here has received it, and the, the difference would be is do we acknowledge it? And so when Jesus says this, you cast the first stone if, you never, if you've never sinned. He says, you cast it. And this is really what he's doing here. He's putting the dilemma back on the Pharisees and scribes. And so this is why I will take a minute. Just hang with me here. Hang with me on this. In Jewish law, uh, there was this, this concept that if someone uh, caught someone committing adultery, anytime there was a case of capital punishment, that is where the sentence would be death, the witness or whoever found this person guilty, they would have to start the stoning. And so now that makes a little bit more sense when Jesus says, hey, listen, if you've never sinned, you go ahead and start throwing that first stone. So in Jewish law, if they found someone guilty of this crime, then the witness that found them that way would have to begin the stoning. And so that brings up two scenarios then. One, that if the Pharisees did walk in on this woman who we see literally was caught in the act, then Jesus is saying, you've got to be the one to start this stoning. The second scenario is this. If they did not accidentally walk in because seldom was adultery, uh, you know, found out back then. Clearly we know it was because the punishment's in the scripture. But seldom were people caught because most of the time adultery affairs happened in private. So there was never a witness or they were never found. So that would lead to this. It could suggest that the Pharisees and scribes intentionally set this woman up to trap Jesus. And therefore they would be condoning a behavior and making themselves just as guilty as the act itself. And so you put that with a picture of Jesus saying, hey, you throw the first stone if you've never done anything wrong. 
I believe those things to be true. And something else that I just, as I've as prayed and studied this text and heard other things about it, something I really believe from the bottom of my heart is I believe that's true, that these people, they were very ill-intentioned, trying to trap, trap the Savior of the world. But I think another thing is true, and we'll see here in this text. It says, verse 8 says, Then he stooped down again and continued riding on the ground. And this is what I believe happened is, is Jesus is standing there with all these men and these leaders. Remember, it has been a, a big crowd. And these religious leaders would have been, you know, very influential. And Jesus didn't back down. And another point is this, is that when you know the thing is right, you do the right thing and you stand up no matter who it is. But Jesus is there and it says he stooped down again to ride on the ground. And just a piece of info, this is the only time in the Gospels or New Testament that we ever see Jesus doing any kind of riding. So it's significant. We need to pay attention to it. But I believe this. I believe Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, he it says that he stooped down. And I would imagine it would have been something like this right here. And all these people are standing around with their eyes on him and they're watching him. It says that he started riding in the ground. And I believe what he started doing is, I believe he started looking at these religious leaders, these Pharisees, these hypocrites. It says he took his finger and started riding in the ground. What I believe he did was he began to ride out their sins in the ground while they stood there. And so for the man this morning or a woman that comes to church, but you don't tithe that Jesus, he was riding in the ground, you're a thief. See, this woman in the Old Testament was caught having, caught in the act of committing adultery. But Jesus said, he flipped the script on it. He said, hey, listen, men, if you even look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. So he looked up at the man and said, listen, you're the adulterer. And all these men are standing there. He looked at the other one, and he wrote down pride. I I believe he began to write out their sins in the ground so that they could see. They really don't have the room to throw the stone at her. And this is why, if you continue on in the next verse, verse 9 says, When they heard this, they left one by one. Who first? Starting with the older men. And this is something I've learned in my 30 years of life, is that the older I get, the more grace God has shown me. If you're older than 30 and you're in Christ, then you know, typically, the older we get, the more mistakes we make, and you've seen God's grace abound even more in your life. And so it says these older men, they started walking away first as if suggesting they knew how much wrong they had done. And they didn't have the right to bring death upon this woman. And here's a beautiful picture of what our Savior is like. Listen, there are going to be people that put you up on a pedestal When things are good, they're going to build you up. They're going to want to be around you. When things are going high and fly, they want to be there by your side. But there's going to be times when you're down, and and people are going to just throw you under the bus. When you make mistakes, they're going to turn their back on you. And listen, that's a bad feeling when you you have friends who turn their back on you. If you've ever experienced, I hope you haven't. These people that you just, you count on, you think they're loyal and faithful to you, and they turn their back on you, and you feel so alone. And when that's you, you remember this right here. Then the verse 9 says, only he was left with the woman in the center. When all the smoke is gone, when everybody's gone, when all else fails, you can be sure that Jesus Christ will be standing with you in the center of whatever battle or storm you are facing. Only Jesus is there. And so verse 10 says, he's been on the ground riding their sins. They begin to walk away. Everyone's gone. It's just Jesus and this woman says, when he stood up, he said to her, woman. He says, where are they? 
Has no one condemned you? I love how she answers him. She says, no one, Lord. And a good observation is when these Pharisees and scribes, when they come before Jesus and they bring this woman, do you remember how they referred to him? They called him teacher. She fell fell before the foot of the cross and received his forgiveness, and she called him Lord. And so I'm asking you this morning, what do you call Jesus? Is he a teacher? Or is he the Lord of your life? Listen, this invitation that Jesus offered this woman is not a religious invitation. It's about a relationship. And I think the Ridge and Pastor Bobby and the other staff here are making that clear, that it's about knowing Christ and Him crucified. And I want to tell you something, if you're here this morning outside of Him, that if you're an unbeliever, that doesn't mean you can't follow Jesus. And if you're a sinner, which we all are, doesn't mean that you can't follow Jesus. In fact, there are two prerequisites to becoming one in Christ. When Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee and He called His first disciples, they were ordinary fishermen. They did not believe in him. They did not know who he was. So if you're sitting here today and something's stirring inside of you and you feel like it's really, you feel like this is for you, this moment, there's something going on. The real question is, will you call him Lord? See, when we stand before God's holy, majestic presence, and we realize that our sins are gone. Everything you have done, Colossians says that he nailed it to the cross, all of our debt obligations. You will call him Lord if you acknowledge that. You will. And that, my friends, is when grace and truth can sit in. When you realize that you don't have to, no longer do you have to be bound to the mistakes that you made, to the life that you used to live, to the addiction, to the affliction, to the divorce to the damage, to the depression, whatever it is you're facing. You are no longer bound by those shackles. You are no longer bound by those shackles. He said, does anyone condemn you? And she says, no one, Lord. This is what he says. He says, neither do I condemn you. This is beautiful here. Romans 8, 1 says it. John three seventeen says it. There is no condemnation in Christ. If you're here this morning, there is no condemnation in Christ. I want you to hear this one more time in case you haven't heard me. There's no condemnation in Christ. You are not condemned. You are not condemned in him. You don't have to live a life of guilt. That's why this book is called The Good News, because it's for Lottie Dottie, everybody, and it's good news. It's the good news. I think that we should be embracing this truth that is in here And listen, what would happen to the city of Oak Ridge, to LaSalle Road, to Anderson County, to Clinton, if we, those of us who are in Christ, if we would just get on fire for what God has already done, claim the promises that he's given us, and set out to bust our towns wide open. We are not condemned. We have been promised life everlasting. We have been promised an abundant life. Jesus said, I did not come to condemn you. And so notice this, that Jesus did not deny that the woman was caught in adultery. When your sins are brought before God, he does not deny that you committed them. It's not that he loves, or it's not that he lies for you and says, no, you didn't do anything. It's that his grace and forgiveness, they cover them. His light is greater than your darkness. He doesn't deny the woman's sin. He does not say that she's innocent. Basically, what he's saying is not guilty. 
I'm showing my age or lack thereof in this, but I can remember being in uh, the end of elementary school, beginning of middle school, when O.J. Simpson's trial was going on. And I can remember they actually brought the TV in the classroom and let us watch it. And I can just remember, and obviously as I've gotten older, I know this, but there was like all this evidence, except, you know, the black glove, don't quit, whatever thing. But I remember that day that the jury, and they said that it was not guilty. And they had all this evidence. And my friends, I'm telling you, every single one of us in here, we are on trial for the life we are living. And I don't say it to scare you. It's not a bad thing because there's good news if you're in Christ. But we are all on trial for the life we are living. And one day, we will face Jesus and we will be held accountable for what we've done. And every bit of wrong that we have done will be piled there before him. He is all-knowing. It's all going to be there. Every thought that you've had, everything you've thought you've done in secret that nobody knows about, it'll be laid out there for everybody to see then. And if you're in Christ, though the evidence is overwhelming, when the gavel comes down, Jesus says, not guilty. Somebody should have jumped up to the roof on that one, honestly. Don't do it now because I've asked you to, but that's good news. That's good news for you. Somebody needs to walk out of here knowing that you don't have to come bearing the same shame and, and guilt that you did when you first walked in here. Jesus says, it's not guilty. Then he tells her, go and from now on, do not sin anymore. And what he's saying is literally, just change the way you're living. It's really like that. You can make a decision today that I'm not going to live this way anymore. Today, I asked you when you first got here, would you be okay if your life changed forever today? And you all raised your hand. And let me, let me flip the script on you. If you don't change, it's not because of what I said or did not say. You have the opportunity to leave this place different than how you came by making a commitment. When Jesus tells her to go and not sin anymore, he is not telling her to literally never make a mistake again. What he's saying is change what you care about. Receive this forgiveness I have given. And so if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and there's something heavy upon your heart, you need to let it go. We're going to go into a time of response. They're going to sing. They're going to play. And I want to just challenge you and encourage you to embrace this message, not what I said or how I said it, because listen, it's not about me. It's really not about me. Julie, you prayed this prayer the first service, and I heard it. You said, we are here because of God. In the second, this service, you said that we're here to do, what we do is to change lives. And that's really what it's all about. It's about God and changing lives. And all this, the music, the lights, the preaching, the speaking, this is just to create an atmosphere where you can experience the Holy Spirit and God without distraction. Really, it's up to you. It's up to you. And so just two things I want to just challenge you with right now. If those of you here that are here and you just need your life to change. You've been carrying guilt and shame for some past event that nobody knows about. And you need God to let it go. Would you take some time to just seek Him? And then maybe there's others of you here. Man, you don't even know this Jesus I'm talking about. And to you, I would say you can experience Him. You can experience. I know that Pastor Bobby and, and, and other uh, team leaders here will be willing to pray with you if you want to come forward, if you want to just sit there with yourself or with a loved one. Let's just take this time to reflect upon God's goodness and His favor, His mercy, His grace. Unlike the adulteress, when you come before Him, you'll say, Lord, 
So God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for a place like Ridge Church where we can come and be who we are, God, and take off the mask and not have to hide. God, we thank you that we can freely turn to your word and it be open, God, and you hear us, Lord. And God, we think like this woman here whose sin, whose wrongdoing, mistakes were obvious that your grace is enough. And God, there are many of us in here who are hurting and we need you. And God, maybe we're too embarrassed to tell the person beside us, God, or maybe we're too ashamed. And God, would you just come down now in this moment and bring reconciliation and bring peace upon us? God, there are those of us in here who are not really sure that we know you. God, would you take this moment now to just draw near, God, that your spirit would testify with them and that they would say, hey, I want this. I need this. I don't even know what this is, but I know that I want this. God, and really above everything that has happened here this morning or happened from this point forward, will you take the glory from it? Because you are good, you are faithful, and you are true. So now we reflect upon this time together and we worship you, God, in spirit, in truth, through worship. In Jesus' name we pray.